0: Due to the sensitive nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of death that may be upsetting for some listeners. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: July 28, 1945, was an extremely foggy day in New York City. Pedestrians in Manhattan could hardly see more than a block ahead of them, The top half of the Empire State Building vanished into the gray mist.
0: At 9.40 a.m., a a B-25 bomber came in low over midtown Manhattan. The pilot was headed for Newark Airport in New Jersey, but the fog disoriented him. Just seconds later, the airplane crashed into the 79th floor of the Empire State Building. The plane hit the building at 200
1: miles per hour, punching a 20-foot hole into the side. One of the engines blasted through the floor and ended up in a penthouse a block away.
0: The plane's disintegration left 14 people dead. But once the newspaper headlines died down, the tragedy was largely forgotten. There were no pictures or videos of the crash happening, no breakneck TV news cycle or internet forums to keep the discussion alive. The hole in the Empire State Building's side was repaired within weeks, and New York moved on.
1: But the next time an aircraft hit a Manhattan skyscraper, it was broadcast live to millions of shocked viewers. Nobody ever forgot what they saw on September 11, 2001. But even 20 years later, there are still lingering questions about what really transpired. I'm Carter Roy. And
0: I'm Molly Brandenburg.
1: Every Monday and Wednesday, we host Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParkCast.
0: But I also co-host the show, Unexplained Mysteries. Starting today, we're bringing listeners of both shows a special crossover miniseries, looking back on one of the most influential events of the 21st century, the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001.
1: It's been 20 years since 9-11, and while we might say never forget, there are so many facts most of us never knew in the first place. For the next six episodes, we'll investigate the truth about what happened during the attacks and the lingering questions about the aftermath.
0: The first three episodes will air on both conspiracy theories and unexplained mysteries. The last three episodes will run exclusively on conspiracy theories, so if you aren't subscribed yet, be sure to check it out. You won't want to miss this.
1: Over these first two episodes, we'll take a moment-by-moment look at the events of September 11th. We'll discuss the attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. as they unfolded, as well as the immediate aftermath.
0: Throughout the rest of this special series, we'll investigate the theories surrounding the attacks, including who knew, who was involved, and who profited. We'll explore the social and political fallout and the dark conspiracies that changed American foreign policy forever.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel slash conspiracy.
0: After the 1945 Empire State Building crash, New York architects began considering the threat of airplane strikes when designing tall buildings. 20 years later, These concerns led to unique innovations in the city's newest skyscrapers, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center.
1: Upon their completion in April 1973, the Twin Towers were the tallest buildings in the world. 110 stories of steel and aluminum reaching over 1,360 feet into the air. They were designed to withstand a direct hit from a Boeing 707 the largest jetliner flying
0: at the time. The two towers housed over 10 million square feet of office space dedicated to international banks, stock traders, and several government agencies. They were connected by a basement complex that dropped seven stories into subterranean Manhattan. With an underground shopping center and transit station, the complex became a bustling destination for New Yorkers.
1: But the Trade Center's real glory was above ground. The Twin Towers dominated Manhattan's skyline. While some considered them a symbol of economic might, other New Yorkers deemed them an eyesore, two ugly metal fingers sticking up from the earth.
0: Yet as much as some New Yorkers loathed the Twin Towers, few ever imagined that the buildings might be targeted for attack. A few
1: minutes after noon on February 26, 1993, terrorists detonated a 1,200-pound truck bomb in the parking garage beneath the towers. The blast killed six people and injured over a 1,000 more. More critically, the impact knocked out the building's electrical power, disabling the fire sprinklers, elevators, and public address systems. Even the Trade Center's emergency command office was offline. In its first true test, the disaster response at the Twin Towers failed.
0: Immediately after the blast, thousands of office workers in the towers had no idea what was happening. All they could see was the dark smoke rising from somewhere below.
1: As they panicked and rushed for the exits, smoke crept up through the towers like chimneys, filling offices and stairwells. Some workers on high floors broke windows to let air in,
0: which showered glass onto the evacuees below. For all the chaos, the damage to the building was relatively minimal. The bomb hardly made a dent in the towers, and the damage to the underground garage was fixable. But the Trade Center wasn't just buildings, it was the businesses inside. The towers didn't need to collapse for the attack to cause irreparable damage
1: in the aftermath of the bombing the government agencies and international banks stationed in the towers were in a frenzy one bank executive called the trade center director and said five billion dollars of american government debt was at risk and could mount for as long as the offices were out of commission a few minutes later The director got a call from the White House about the same concern.
0: Another commodities broker had a similar concern. Closing the trading floors for just one day meant the price of oil might fluctuate worldwide.
1: The Port Authority learned quickly that evacuating the towers was not something to be done on a whim, even in an emergency. Anything that affected business could have dire consequences for the American economy.
0: The aftermath of the 1993 bombing was an enormous lesson for emergency responders. Additional safety protocols were added. The city built a new command center in World Trade Center 7, the 47-story building on the north side of the plaza. In the event of a disaster, this would be the headquarters for all involved, from the Secret Service to state police.
1: Some workers in the Trade Center feared that another attack might come one day, But at least they felt ready. If the towers could withstand a bomb, they could withstand anything,
0: right? But the true test wouldn't come for another eight years. Coming up, September 11th stuns the world.
1: Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series, Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fowls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and the house party gone horribly wrong, To a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results, go deeper inside four affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with party fouls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. Listen free only on Spotify.
0: Now back to the story.
1: Filmmaker Jules Nade woke up early on the morning of September eleventh, two thousand one. He and his brother Gideon were making a documentary about Engine Seven, a fire station based in Lower Manhattan. This meant working on the firefighter schedule. Early mornings were a given.
0: By 8 a.m., it was already a beautiful, cloudless day. Jules and Gideon rigged up their cameras and waited for the first emergency call of the morning. Whenever the firefighters rolled out, they would go along.
1: They had no idea that the scope of their documentary was about to expand rapidly.
0: At that same moment... American Airlines Flight 11 took off from Boston's Logan Airport. In business class seat 8D, Mohammed Atta checked his watch and began a countdown. He and four Saudi terrorists in nearby seats had been planning for this moment for over a year.
1: When the jet reached cruising altitude 14 minutes later, the hijackers made their move. They stabbed two flight attendants, likely with box cutters, and forced their way into the cockpit.
0: No radio communications were received from the Flight 11 crew after the hijacking started, but a flight attendant managed to call the dispatch center via phone. Unfortunately, the warning didn't come soon enough. At 8.14 a.m., the same minute that Flight 11 was hijacked, United Airlines Flight 175 departed from Logan Airport with five other terrorists aboard.
1: Around 8.42 a.m., these five men stormed the cockpit, killed both pilots, and took control of the aircraft. Within minutes, both American 11 and United 175 went radio silent. Their flight paths turned toward New York City.
0: On the ground in lower Manhattan, thousands of Twin Towers employees were arriving at their desks. On average, over 14,000 people entered the towers by 8 45 a.m. each morning, and September 11th was no exception.
1: One of these 14,000 people was Port Authority Manager Frank DiMartini, the head of construction for the Trade Center. His office was on the 88th floor of the North Tower. Frank knew the buildings inside and out, including their fire safety systems emergency plans, and evacuation routes. Just minutes later, that knowledge became a lifeline.
0: At 8.46 a.m., Flight 11 flew down the western edge of Manhattan, engines screaming at full power. Down on the street, curious onlookers wondered why the jetliner was flying so low.
1: Among them was filmmaker Jules Nade, who was standing at the corner of Lisbonard and Church Street, about 10 blocks north of the Trade Center. He turned his camera to follow the plane and captured the only known footage of Flight 11 as it slammed into the North Tower.
0: Traveling at 470 miles per hour, the plane hit the 96th floor straight on. The wingspan and fuselage tore a gaping hole in the North side, shattering the steel of the exterior wall. Several floors collapsed instantly.
1: Nearly two-thirds of the building's central support columns were severed or heavily damaged. All three emergency stairwells, which were clustered at the core, were destroyed at the point of impact. This left no escape for anyone above the 93rd floor.
0: In less than a second, nearly 10,000 gallons of high-octane fuel atomized and ignited. The fire blasted into elevator shafts and plummeted over a thousand feet down to the lobby. People standing on the ground floor were burned as the flaming jet fuel blew the elevator doors off.
1: At the impact zone, six entire floors turned into a hellish inferno within seconds. For the people trapped in the fire, death was instantaneous.
0: Five stories below the impact zone on the 88th floor, Frank Demartini was still alive, although he had no idea what had happened. He figured it was another bomb. His coworkers emerged from their cubicles in panic. At first, everyone agreed they should stay put and wait for help.
1: Instinctually, Frank did a sweep of the floor and found a section that was already engulfed in flames and smoke. There was no way they could wait for rescue. He realized that two emergency stairwells were blocked by debris from above, but the third was still open.
0: As Frank ushered his coworkers to the stairs, he heard shouts and banging from above. People were still trapped on the upper floors and they needed help. So while everyone else went down, Frank and his colleague, Pablo Ortiz, decided to go up.
1: Upstairs, the fire was already chewing through office furniture, carpeting, and even the fireproof insulation. Whole floors were engulfed in flames, leaving the mounting smoke to rise even higher into the floors above. On the 103rd floor alone, nearly 100 people were trapped by debris and smoke.
0: At the windows on the World Restaurant on the top floor, a thick black haze filtered in through the air vents, As people choked, some broke the narrow windows to pull in fresh air, which allowed them to breathe, but also fed the fire with more oxygen.
1: The workers trapped above the impact zone were running out of options. Near the top of the tower, some were hanging out the windows, waving jackets and shirts to signal for help. Then they started to fall.
0: Within just four minutes of the crash, Bodies were plummeting from the top of the North Tower. Down in the lobby, there were loud bangs outside nearly every minute. Each sound was a person hitting the ground.
1: The implication was horrific. If so many people were jumping rather than waiting for help, the conditions on the upper floors must be unsurvivable. Firefighter Joe Casaligi even said, quote, how bad is it up there that the better option is to jump?
0: Kasaliji and the rest of Engine 7, including filmmaker Jules Noday and Chief Joseph Pfeiffer, had arrived at the North Tower four minutes after the impact. As the first fire chief on the scene, Pfeiffer was immediately thrown into chaos.
1: Crowds of workers from the lower floors were pouring out of the stairwells. They had felt the impact and didn't wait to see what had happened. All they knew was what they could see, flaming debris and bodies falling into the plaza outside.
0: Because of the jet fuel explosions in the elevator shafts, the lobby looked like a bomb had detonated. Windows were shattered, several burned bodies were splayed out on the floor, and debris was everywhere. The confusion
1: led to rumors swirling among civilians and police. Someone said the explosion was a missile launched from a nearby building. Others assumed it was a bomb. Only the firefighters, now arriving by the dozen, knew what they were actually facing.
0: But two issues quickly emerged. The first was that as more firefighters and police arrived to help, they had nowhere to go. Their vehicles were lined up in the streets, causing traffic jams for other emergency vehicles.
1: Once emergency personnel did finally reach the North Tower lobby, They had to climb the narrow, crowded stairwells to the impact zone. As each small team went up, the remaining firefighters had no choice but to mill around in the lobby, waiting their turn.
0: While the firefighters were trying to get into the tower, there was the other problem of getting out. Workers who had evacuated from the lower floors had nowhere to go. Leaving out of the front doors was out of the question. Bodies and flaming debris were still raining down. One firefighter was even killed by a falling victim.
1: The only functioning escape route was a set of narrow escalators running through the shopping center under the plaza. And as lines toward the escalators bottlenecked, a pileup of emergency responders and evacuees formed in the lobby.
0: Chief Pfeiffer was overwhelmed. Over a thousand New York firefighters were heading to the World Trade Center, along with hundreds of NYPD and Port Authority officers. And as more senior chiefs arrived, the chain of command grew unclear. Nobody knew who was giving orders or which orders had already been given.
1: And the responders were all facing one fatal problem. The police and fire departments couldn't talk to each other.
0: For years, there'd been an ongoing debate over which department was in charge of emergencies on scene. This often led to a haphazard, uncoordinated response. Even their radios were on different frequencies, leaving firefighters in the towers unable to communicate with police outside or their helicopters circling above.
1: To make matters worse, the dense steel structure caused firefighters in the towers to lose contact with the chiefs on the ground. They had no way to report what they found on the upper floors, and they couldn't hear an evacuation order from the lobby if the situation deteriorated.
0: Without a coordinated response, emergency workers crowded the streets around the towers, waiting for someone to issue orders. There was only one consensus among the different teams. They believed they had time. After all, the Twin Towers were supposed to be fireproof.
1: The building's steel skeleton was wrapped in fireproof insulation meant to withstand three hours of flames. At this point, the fire had been burning for less than 15 minutes. This was why 911 dispatchers told people not to try and evacuate from the higher floors. They didn't want anyone getting hurt in a panicked rush to escape, especially
0: when rescuers
1: were on the way
0: but the building's fireproofing had never been tested and certainly not in catastrophic circumstances like these. As the firefighters climbed up into the North Tower, the clock was ticking faster than any of them knew.
1: 13 minutes after impact, there were already multiple teams of firefighters en route to the impact zone. Chief Pfeiffer's first concern though was evacuating survivors, not tackling the fire. Having seen Flight 11 hit the North Tower, he suspected this was an intentional attack. Until they knew the circumstances, he wanted as few people in harm's way as possible. So by 8.57 a.m., the fire chiefs and the Port Authority police ordered an evacuation of both towers.
0: Unfortunately, this was in direct conflict with the orders being given by South Tower officials. Due to mixed signals, they believed that only the North Tower was being evacuated. They told anyone leaving the South Tower to go back upstairs.
1: One of these workers was Stanley Prem who worked on the 81st floor of the South Tower. After the plane hit the North Tower, he immediately went for the elevators. When he got there, there were others already waiting. But the question among them was whether or not it was safe to leave. They could see the falling bodies and debris outside.
0: A few minutes later, Stanley got an answer from a security guard. The South Tower was safe. Everyone should go back to their offices.
1: So at 9 a.m., he did. Coming up, time runs out for the South Tower. Now, back to the story.
0: At 9.03 a.m. on September 11th, television cameras caught a second aircraft approaching lower Manhattan from the south. It was a passenger jet flying low at a very high speed.
1: Back at his desk on floor 81 of the South Tower, Stanley Premnath saw the oncoming plane bank slightly toward his window. He saw a flash of red and blue on the tail and the letter U, United 175. United 175. Less than a second later, the jet slammed into his office.
0: The plane struck the tower at a slight angle, so the fuselage and wings gouged out a wide hole from the 77th to the 85th floors. The plane was traveling at 545 miles per hour and carrying nearly 10,000 gallons of fuel, which exploded immediately.
1: The impact shook the building for four minutes and was recorded on seismographs on the opposite end of Manhattan. Nearly every elevator was knocked offline. Two of the three stairwells were crushed at the point of impact. But there was one stairwell that was still usable. The only fully intact escape route in either tower.
0: Unfortunately, nobody knew which stairwell was undamaged. This left everyone above the impact zone with a one-in-three chance of choosing the stairwell that would get them out.
1: Stanley Premnath couldn't reach any stairs. The impact crushed his office and he was trapped under the debris. But he was still alive. Hundreds of others were killed instantly.
0: Back in the lobby of the North Tower, nobody had seen the second plane hit, but they definitely heard it. Within moments, the dozens of firefighters and police in the lobby heard both radio frequencies erupt with requests for help in the South Tower.
1: Chief Pfeiffer radioed up to his teams in the North Tower, but he could hardly hear anything. There was nothing he could do to inform them or the workers trapped a thousand feet above him that the disaster had just doubled.
0: But for the millions of people watching on television, the second plane was an unmistakable sign. This wasn't an accident. It was an attack.
1: Down on the street, the thousands of onlookers who saw the second plane hit ran for their lives. But there was nowhere for them to go. Within minutes, every bridge and tunnel in and out of Manhattan was closed. All subway service to the island was diverted, Cell phone and internet networks were overwhelmed.
0: Back at the Trade Center, millions of sheets of paper blown out of the towers floated through the air like snow. Chunks of steel and aluminum lay crumpled in the streets. All of lower Manhattan was permeated with the smell of burning wire and metal.
1: The pilots of the NYPD helicopters circling above tried to keep count of the number of victims falling from the towers but it was impossible. At one point, the pilots considered picking up people from the rooftops, just as they had after the 1993 bombing, but there wasn't a single person on the roof of either tower. The heavy steel doors leading to the roof were locked and the access system had been knocked offline.
0: 20 floors above the South Tower's impact zone on floor 105 Insurance executive Kevin Cosgrove could hardly see or breathe through the thick, acrid haze.
1: He grasped for a phone on the desk and called 911, but it was clear that help wasn't coming. Even with dozens of firefighters on their way up the tower, there was no way to reach them.
0: The conditions were quickly becoming unsurvivable. Cosgrove and the hundreds of others trapped with him had two choices. They could wait until the fire consumed them, or they could jump. There was no third option.
1: But at 9.18 a.m., a brief glimpse of hope came through on the firefighters' radios. Chief Oreo Palmer had found a working freight elevator that ran from the ground floor of the South Tower all the way up to floor 40. The firefighters now had a shortcut. They could send injured workers down and try to find a way to climb higher toward the fire.
0: Back in the lobby of the North Tower, the fire chiefs were running out of hope. They couldn't get nearly enough men or water up to the impact zone. Each floor was 40,000 square feet. With acres of office space on fire, they had only one option. They had to let the flames burn.
1: 78 stories above, construction manager Frank DiMartini was in the North Tower's elevator lobby In the 32 minutes since the first impact, Frank and his coworker, Pablo, had pulled workers out of rubble on multiple floors. But Frank's priorities were starting to shift. When the plane hit the North Tower, it blew apart most of the elevator doors and shafts. And from where Frank was standing, he could see right into the internal structure of the building.
0: As the construction manager for the Trade Center, he knew everything about the towers, including their weaknesses. The damage he saw startled him enough to radio an urgent warning to a colleague on the ground floor. It looked like the express elevators were about to collapse.
1: Just minutes after Frank's warning, an eerily similar report came from a structural engineer down on the street. He told the fire chiefs that the flames devouring the towers weren't the primary danger the structural damage was far more critical.
0: Due to the unique architecture of the towers, the exterior walls were largely responsible for holding up the buildings. Now, there were gaping sections missing from those outer walls. The towers could collapse at any moment.
1: Up in the South Tower, stockbroker Brian Clark was making his way down the only undamaged stairwell. Around the landing of the 81st floor, he heard a voice calling for help.
0: Brian started digging through the rubble, and after a few minutes, he found Stanley Premnath, trapped under desks and fallen debris.
1: He grabbed Stanley's hand and pulled him out of the wreckage. The two men started down the stairwell together, unaware that they were racing against time.
0: At 9.29 a.m., the city of New York issued a recall of all off-duty firefighters and EMS workers. This page meant thousands of extra emergency workers were preparing to come to the Trade Center.
1: And as they flooded in, they brought information. Many responders inside the North Tower didn't know what was happening outside the building. And rumors circulated that even more planes had been hijacked.
0: While Port Authority officials were in touch with the FAA, the hijackings and crashes happened too fast to relay any warnings. At that point, all anyone knew was that passenger jets were being used as missiles, and anything could be the next target.
1: In fact, the rumors were true. There were other hijacked planes, but they weren't headed for New York. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with the next part of our special series on September 11th. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Andrew Messer, with writing assistance by Mackenzie Moore and Kate Gallagher. Fact-checking by Anya Barely, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.
1: Hi, listeners it's carter here's a quick reminder to check out the solved murders four-part special party fouls every wednesday in august take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion follow the spotify original from parcast solved murders listen free only on spotify